This episode is brought to you by Ticker. Ticker Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional-level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, transcript filings, news, and more. ValueHive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at ticker.com forward slash hive. That's T-I-K-R dot com forward slash hive. This episode is brought to you by Quarter. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. Quarter's first mission is to enable access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports as frictionless as possible, straight to your pocket. I started using Quarter and I've never looked back. You can think of Quarter as the Spotify for all investor conference calls that you can think of. You can type in the ticker of whatever company you want, say it's Etsy, and you can get a list of all of their recent earnings calls and inside the earnings calls. You can listen and click the PDF and it'll show you investor presentations or prepared remarks that you can read alongside listening. The best part is, is you can choose the speeds. You can have 1x, 1.2, 1.5, which is my favorite, and you can star companies, make them your favorites, and you'll get notifications for new conference calls and they'll be right at the top of your app. So there's five key points to remember about Quarter. First, it's 100% free. They include companies from 12 markets and plan to add more over over the coming year. They prioritize requested companies, which you can do in the app, and they have a lot more in store. So check them out on wherever app store you have. It's Q-U-A-R-T-R. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Episode is going to be a little bit different. We've got a FinTwit slash TikTok celebrity on our hands. It is Kyla Scanlon. She is a content um, you know, creator, program manager over at over at OnDeck, and she also does a bunch of financial content on TikTok and Twitter. I'm sure you've seen her. If you if you haven't, then you've been living under a rock for the last six months. <laughs> so we're gonna dive into Kyla's background, where her creative energy comes from, what it's like to be on the OnDeck team, and TikTok as a financial platform versus meme generator. It's gonna be mm-hmm. a lot of fun, and we're also gonna talk about DAOs if we've got time. So there's a lot to jam pack into this hour episode. So Kyla. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I know. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So where does this creative energy come from to make all these fun videos? I don't know. Um, I So I used to work in asset management um, in those tiers. You know, you just spend a lot of time like in Excel spreadsheets. Uh, so I'm just wondering if all of it was like creatively stifled for, for those two years. And now it's just like outpouring as a stream of consciousness in the form of videos. Um, but I've always sort of been this way. Like I... I've been writing online for a long time um, and then would write books when I was younger. So I've always like been creating content and trying to do it in a, I guess some would say creative fashion. Yeah. So you say writing books when you were younger, like you just casually mentioned that, are, are we talking like 200 page novels or? <laughs> no, like, like picture books. So like I would write books about penguins and seals and like the adventures that they would go on. I tried to write like, <laughs> I tried to write a civil war like romance novel when I was in middle school as all middle schoolers do like very <laughs> Wattpad-esque um so yeah yeah I've just always been writing that's awesome and what do you write about mostly where is your kind of passion or intersection of passions 
Yeah. So, so right now it's definitely like the market. Um, I love to do, I used to love to do like single stock analysis, but now I really like to do qualitative stuff because the market seems to transcend any sort of quantitative analysis at this point. Um, so I really love just like connecting the dots between different ideas and, and trying to like tell a narrative behind the market, because I think that's like the most powerful thing that you can do is like try and connect all those, all those disparate ideas. Yeah. And so right now, all of that has kind of led to where you are now, which is part of the on-deck team. And, and, and we'll get into what you're doing on TikTok and, and, and the financial creativity stuff. Um, what, what is on-deck and, and how did you get involved with the company? Yeah, sure. So um, I used to work in asset management. I wanted to transition away from that. On-deck was um, a really good uh, diving board for that. So it's an educational company. Um, do a lot of operational stuff there. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's been good. Um, and then on the side, I have my TikTok and all the different financial content that I do, which is nice. So at what point did you start thinking about TikTok videos? And I guess take us back to like the first one that you ever made. Yeah, I mean, okay, this is going to be a super long answer. Um, but so <laughs> I, I started trading options in high school. And like this gets back into what I was talking about, like writing online is I had to create a blog so I could like share my ideas because I'm from Kentucky and there wasn't a ton of people like my age in Kentucky who were trading options, you know, just there wasn't a lot of that. It's not and a so financial like, okay, powerhouse, I'll... Kentucky. <laughs> well, no, not even that, but like just like my age, especially like there wasn't a ton of 18 year olds because this was pre uh, Wall Street bets pop. Um, and so I, like I started writing online so I could like find other people. Um, and like, it was just, I wrote for Seeking Alpha and like did all this stuff. And then I graduated and I couldn't write online anymore. And so when I was at my previous employer, I started doing TikToks about like science and just like random things that I would do blogs about. So I'd been on, I'd been on TikTok, TikTok since like December of 2020, but it didn't start, um, becoming financially related until um february when i when i left got it and so your first financial related video what was what was the theme or what was what was the stock or the pitch or anything this is such a good story actually and nobody's ever really i haven't talked to anybody about it ever but do you know robin hood kid um kayla Kilburn. yeah she's that blonde haired uh person yeah. on, yep yep so there's like 10 financial content creators and she's uh, another one of them. And she made this video about like um, how a makeup palette could translate to being like a call option. Um, and I made a response video to her and I was like, I'm going to add a little bit more context. And I like drew something out. But like my very, very first financial piece was like a comment to her. Um, and now we like work on a ton of stuff together. So it was just kind of funny. Like at the time we didn't know each other and she was kind of like, hey, like, why did you do that? <laughs> and I, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was just funny. Like that, that was like my very, very first one was, um, sort of with her. Yeah. It's actually funny because I watched a video of her and I don't know how it was again, one of those probably random things, but the way she was describing, I don't know if it was, it, it, it wasn't the makeup one, but she was describing mm -hmm. another options strategy and the way she described mm -hmm. it was so simple and mm -hmm. so logical and it, like anybody could have picked it up. And I think that just goes to the power of TikTok in that you only have, what is it? 60 seconds mm -hmm. to kind of get a story mm -hmm. across. And so you really need to nail the kind of essence of what you're trying to say in 60 seconds. or you're going to mm -hmm. lose somebody. It's hard too. Yeah. I mean, she does a really, really great job at like distilling down these really complex topics. And I don't think like, I think 
you know, it's so easy to write like 10 pages about options trading strategy. It's a lot harder to do a 60 second video about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it's just, it's so more powerful too. It's so much more powerful if you're able to explain a concept that quickly and that concisely. Which is so funny because in school, and this is kind of going off on a tangent, but in school we're, we're taught where we have to write a mm -hmm. minimum amount of words and it's got to be at mm -hmm. least this much. But yet when you get out into the world, people don't care. Like they want the information as quickly as possible with as much information. And, and it's just like this reverse, almost like perverse uh, teaching mechanism that's going on in schools where it actually really hinders your ability to communicate. Yeah, totally. And I think that's like a huge mistake because then you don't have people who like, I think like, yeah, you just don't have people who can explain, like if you can't explain things simply enough, that means you don't understand it. Um, and we're taught that you have to like have these pages and pages of information. And I used to be that way too, with like my content, I was like, I gotta write like all oh, so much. And now I'm like, okay, if I can get it, like Substack caps you, right? Like they're like a post too long. And so if I can get it within the, the Substack balance, it's like, okay, cool. Like that's, that's super great. And yep. so yeah, the shorter is better. Yeah. I try for all my company write-ups, I try to do it at the most 1500 words. And even mm -hmm. then it seems long, you know, like why need mm -hmm. six pages to discuss an idea, but this yeah. whole, um, you know, working within TikTok leads us to TikTok as a financial platform. But before we get into that, the only recollection I have of TikTok is from my cousin <laughs> who's 13, who's a dancer. And so she just does nice. like, you know, those obvious TikTok dances. Clearly there's way more preparation going on in your types of videos and in these financial types of videos. Um, what, what is it like? Kind of walk us through that creative process when um, you can use whatever example you want, when you've got an idea for a video mm. and from soup to nuts, you know, like outlines, how do you structure that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's like, it's so, it's such a multifaceted platform. Like there are dancing videos interspersed with like these like complex essay type videos. Um, so it just speaks, I think, to like the power of the platform. Um, but yeah, for me, like, I guess like for most of my skit style ones, like I have two different types of TikToks. One, which makes it over to Twitter is the skits. And then the second one is the daily market updates and that stays native to TikTok. Um, and so with the skits, like normally I'll like notice something happening on Twitter and I'm gonna be like, okay, that's pretty interesting. Like what's going on? So like inflation metrics were like wild. So everybody's talking about inflation. Why is inflation happening? Like, how can you sort of tie all those concepts together? Um, so with mixed supply chain, which was one of my more recent videos, I wanted to do something on McDonald's because crypto was going down and all the crypto on crypto Twitter, everybody was like, oh, we got to go like apply to McDonald's now. And I was like, oh, It'd be so fun to like tie in the supply chain to McDonald's, to crypto, to inflation um, and all that stuff and have like crypto at the end being like sad, um, but also like making sure that you're addressing the semiconductor issue too. Um, so how do you like fit all that into a 60 second video and, and, and make sure that it makes sense? So yeah. yeah. How do you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like most of it. So I get a lot of inspiration from other TikToks. Like it helps a lot to like watch, you know, watch what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and then for me, it's like, I, I take advantage of emojis. I don't think, I think this is probably subtle to a lot of people, but like I'll use emojis so people know how they're supposed to respond. Like big eyes, if they're supposed to be surprised by like whatever that character is saying. But I also use like, my face is very expressive. <laughs> um, so like, I'll make sure that my expressions are expressive um, and that sort of thing. 
so yeah, it's really just down to like, I'm not an actor at all. Like, I don't know if it's called acting, but um, it's, it's down to like the subtle nuances in the video that people have to like pay attention to pick up on. And hopefully they, hopefully they do. So, yeah, yeah, I would say, I would say it's less acting and more just like stand up. Like it, like, like a lot of it just feels like stand up comedy to me, especially, I don't know if you listen to Jerry Seinfeld's mm-hmm. podcast with Tim Ferriss but mm-hmm. uh just just like the prep work that he does to kind of craft the mm-hmm. joke and if, even mm-hmm. even if you listen to dave Chappelle and mm-hmm. and uh david pro is actually tweeting about eminem and like all of the prep work that eminem does but that's mm-hmm. a lot what it sounds like it's taking all these pieces and then finding a way to craft them into one story that's both informative and entertaining because that's really what mm-hmm. it is like it could be entertaining but if you don't learn anything i don't think people mm-hmm. are going to come back for it yeah. Yeah. No, and I watch a ton of, I'm a huge stand up comedy fan. So I do think, and I'm also like very big into commentary YouTube where they kind of have that like short, like joke style. So yep. I think both of those probably influence the style. And then also, yeah, to the informative perspective. Um, I think it's like really fun to, to get ideas across in this way, because there's like so much gatekeeping in the industry, as you know, it's like, oh, like we can't have certain people understanding what's going on or else everybody will know what's going on. And then we can't make millions. And so like, if you can start breaking down those barriers, like that's going to be so much more valuable versus it staying behind these like stupid ivory walls that the institutions have built up over time. So like, that's the main goal is how do you disrupt financial education um, and financial media? So do you see speaking of financial education, do you see TikTok as, and, and, you know, this is along the lines of a financial platform. What, what is, what does that mean for TikTok to be a financial platform in relation to Mm -hmm. disrupting, um, financial education for both, you know, like the, uh, more advanced and also the beginner stages? Yeah. I mean, so I think like short form video is, is really powerful. Um, and I don't think a lot of people understand it right now. Like they're still like, Oh, TikTok silly, like vertical videos are silly. Um, and I think that like the way that the next generation is going to learn is sort of going to be in these bite-sized pieces. Um, like they're not going to probably want to watch like a very, very long lecture about this stuff. And you don't need to, right? Like if you can just understand like the bare bones concepts and you can do that in a one minute video, like that's totally fine. Um, I think there's room for like, you know, term definition, um, sort of defining concepts within the one minute bounds. But I do think for the more advanced concepts, it does get more difficult to like distill it down into one minute. But I think that, you know, if people can glean ideas from like beginning with the short form videos, and then potentially they, you know, you shift over to longer form once you sort of get them warmed up, like that's really powerful. Um, So that's how I would think about it. But yeah. Are there any ways that you think TikTok could improve as a financial platform? I mean, starting where you are now? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like right now they're starting to crack down on scammers apparently. Um, so when you yeah, say scammers, is it like the uh, Bitcoin people or the guys that are like pumping their own like altcoins and stuff like that? Yeah. So it's like people who are like, oh, you know, come ride scam coin with me to a thousand percent. Um, so they're cracking down on, I think that was actually a thing that happened on TikTok. So they're, they're cracking down on those people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's tough because like the algorithm, the algorithm rewards you for sort of that like vibrancy and that, you know, getting people to get, you know, comments and say like, oh, that's crazy or like, get me involved. Um, and so the scam videos do really well and you get a large audience because people believe you um, because people don't always understand like what that would mean. They're just like, oh, this would be an easy way to make money. Um, and so like TikTok has to And I don't know if they care, but they have to start, you know, protecting people against that. And they are, apparently. Yeah. 
What were some of the early mistakes you made when first creating some of your TikTok videos? In other words, like when you look back at some of your early ones, like are there any <laughs> things that make you cringe? Because like from a writer's perspective, I'll look back at what I wrote six months ago. And I'm like, how, why would I ever put that on a page in that in that structure? Or is it is it kind of the same with 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 the TikTok visual creative? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I was rewatching one of my old videos the other day, and like the editing was just so bad. Um, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe people saw this and responded and liked it and stuff. Like, why did they do that? Why didn't they just kick me off the platform? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's what happens with all artists, writers. However, uh, as you look back on your old stuff and you're like, wow, okay, <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> so definitely, and I think mistakes were just like. Uh, editing was bad. Yeah, editing's hard. How long does it take you to edit a video? Or I guess, I guess kind of, kind of, kind of the whole thing from like recording to editing to actually publishing. And then how many takes mm -hmm. on average does it, does it take for you? Yeah. I mean, so like what I do and it, it, this varies by creator, but I have a lot of characters in each of the videos. And right. so I'll film each character straight. Um, so it's just like saying the lines. Uh, so that kind of helps like save time because you're not doing the costume changes in between each take. So I'd say like filming probably takes half an hour. Editing sometimes takes like two to three hours, depending. Sure. <sighs> yeah, because I'm not good at editing. I have no background in video. Like, <laughs> you should outsource like it or try to outsource it or something. So like, yes, right. But like also you should outsource your newsletter. It, it, like, yeah. Right. But you don't point. want to because it's your like it's your baby, right? Yeah. Like you don't want an, and another person's not going to get the cut quite right. They're not going to get the humor quite right. Like you're mm -hmm. the only one who really knows what it is. And I'm also very controlling and very much like uh, a be perfect perfectionist. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's like the big issue is um, I could outsource, but I feel like it would lose the quality. No, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. at, at what point does your relationship with um, O'Shaughnessy and and business breakdowns get involved? Like, did he find you? Did you reach out to him and say, hey, I can make these videos? Or was it you just made a breakdown and he found mm -hmm. it and was like, this is fantastic? Yeah, I've been a huge fan of his for a while. So I think I was in his DMs about something, just like asking questions. Um, and then like one of the videos, uh, he retweeted it, he quote tweeted it and was like, oh, this is so great. Um, and then I was like, hey, <laughs> like, what's up? Remember me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> And um, yeah, so that one was more so like me trying to, I, ju I just really respect them and, and sort of like, I love the business breakdowns. Like, I think it's really cool. Like the Exxon one, I, um, I told the story of like Exxon Mobil um, from the time that they started when they were under Standard Oil with Rockefeller all the way to now where they're kind of like faltering as a company. And so I think like those sorts of things are super, super cool. Um, so yeah, it's just been an enjoyable process with them. And so now is it something where like every breakdown you'll, you'll, you'll make a video or how is, how is that structured? Like between, between you guys, is it, Hey, they'll produce a podcast and then you listen to it and then you do your thing. Yeah. So usually I, I get the podcast notes. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's awesome. Like, it's really cool to like read it, but it, it's like, I think 30 pages of transcript. Wow. Uh, so like trying to distill that into a one minute segment. Yeah. So that's the process. Like that's a thing that's unbelievable to me. It's just you take 30 pages and it's like an hour and a half podcast and you just shrink it down to one minute. It's like, I mean, that's just so impressive from a, from a content creating perspective. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, um, like it's, it's tough to like figure out like what's important versus what's not and sort mm. of like those key moments. 
And so like what I do is I try to find like, like the speakers are obviously so talented. So I try to find um, like bits and pieces that I really like that they say. And I try to build off that, like um, whatever concept that I really like that they talked about the most or like, however it ties into like the broader narrative of the company. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, um, it helps you grow. It helps your brain really kind of get good at firing off. It sounds like that would be a great exercise for investors, like those in public and mm -hmm. private markets, even if they're not the creative type, is just trying that exercise. And maybe even if it's just like a private TikTok or just you, you, you basically film yourself where you have to take, let's say someone writes a 10 page write up on seeking alpha or something, you have to take that and you have mm -hmm. to distill it and do a one minute, you know, 60, 60 second video and just do that over and over and over again. Yeah. I think there's one, I don't remember who it was, but I saw something somewhere that was like, if you don't, if you can't explain why you're investing in a company in one, one sentence, yeah. like you shouldn't be investing in that company. Um, so I think, I do think it's really valuable because you have to, like, you can break down like the company into that basic of a TikTok or like a, you know, a concept, like that's going to be so powerful for your thesis and it can help remind you of it when things get bad, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. when the stock starts going down or whatever. I, I think that's really important. Yeah. So we're going to make a big shift now from TikTok to DAOs, which mm. are, I wrote it down, but not on my outline. So is it decentralized? Okay. Autonomous organization. Autonomous organization. See, it was the second one yeah. that, that got me, that got me hooked up. So you wrote a great piece on it. I think it was last Friday, the ninth you. um, on your, on your sub stack, which I will link to in the show notes. But this is kind of the first time I've heard about DAOs. Again, I'm not, uh, I don't spend too much time on the whole like decentralized. I just, it's, it's a lot. So I'm trying to baby step it's my way into it. Um, and so this I thought was really interesting. So from like a 30,000 foot view for novices like myself, what are DAOs and why are they important? Yeah. I mean, so I'm not like the most well-versed on them, uh, but it's like the way that I think about them is that they're just corporations, but with some parts automated away through smart contracts. Um, so rather than having like HR, or like, payroll processing, all that's going to be operated away on a smart contract. And rather than having like five suits in a boardroom somewhere making decisions, it's going to be operated through like actually tokens and, and people voting on different concepts. Um, so it's a much more, as the name would suggest, like a very much more decentralized way of operating um, and also a little bit more autonomous because some of the people are anonymous. Um, and things can fire off with smart contracts versus like having everybody have to get together to make a decision. Um, so it's a lot more efficient and it's a lot more um, effective, I think. So where did DAOs come from? Like who made them? Like, is it some weird like Satoshi thing where no one knows or what's, what's, what's kind of the backstory there? Yeah, I mean, I think the very, very first DAO is the DAO, and that was back in 2016, and that was on the back of the Ethereum blockchain, um, and that actually got hacked, which was, like, not good, right? Not good PR. <laughs> and it was, like, I mean, well, and Ethereum had to fork. Um, so the Ethereum that we know now today is, is from yeah. that fork. So Ethereum oh, Classic wow. was, yeah. So Ethereum, as we know it, is a little bit different than like how it was pre the DAO. So there's Ethereum Classic, which is where the, the DAO existed on the blockchain that got hacked. Um, and then now there's Ethereum as we know it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so within so the DAO, DAO the, yeah. yeah. So, so, so within DAO, you, you, you know, three kind of main levers, I guess, that, that, that these organizations can, can pull from. The first one is money slash incentives. The second one is commitment. And then the third one is decentralized power. So mm -hmm. if you can walk us through how each of these play in and then maybe which one you see as, as the most important or, or if that's you know not even the right way to think about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I so see like those are just my my three variables. I'm sure other people feel differently. Um, but like with money, so you can you can purchase a token and you would expect the token to appreciate in value over time. So you're investing in this token with the idea that, okay, more people are going to join my DAO. Um, and as more people join, as I, and I, as I hold on to this DAO over time, the premium is going to increase. So I'm going to benefit from that appreciation. Um, so like that's kind of the incentive of joining is that expectation of appreciation. And then with commitment, um, you know that other people are invested via this token. Um, so there's an expectation commitment there, right? So like you're putting your money where your mouth is. And then with decentralized power, uh, and I think especially, so I'm, I'm technically a Gen Z. Um, so like, I think with this generation, there's a lot more interest in, in sort of unbundling the corporation and, and focusing a little bit more on like the people in the corporation versus like the, mm -hmm. the seats at the very top. Um, and so that's like how you can think of a DAO is, is, is operating through the people versus uh, like those people at the top of the boardroom. And like just saying disclaimer, I know that they have problems. <laughs> I know that like they're not a perfect structure yet. Um, a lot of people commented that. And so it, it, this is just the, the beginning, I think. And there are still a lot of stuff that they have to work through. So can you walk us through an example, I guess a real real world use case right now of, of, of DAOs in action and, and maybe how it's worked and how it hasn't? Yeah, I mean, I think like, so you have Uniswap and they have a token, like, so you can purchase the token and that governance, help, like as you purchase that token, you can make decisions based on governance and um, you can do liquidity pools, which is a little bit like, I think probably too complex to get into right now, but right basically you buy head. this. <laughs> and so like, I mean, I guess like, like bare, bare basic example is you can purchase a token and you can like help with governance decisions. And there's a lot more other roles within the DAO that you can play, but the main thing is you can decide the direction of the organization and, and vote through your token. Um, so Uniswap does that. I'm going to butcher it, but like Moloch DAO does it. There's a lot out there. There's so many out there. And that's why it's kind of hard. Like a lot of people are like, well, but what DAO would you buy? And it's like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> like there's so many out there. I think like you have to just diversify your portfolio just as you would with, with equities just because there are so many. Yeah, it's just based on your personal interest. Is there a DAO exchange or something like that? Like how do you, like, how do you buy different DAOs? Like, is there, is there like a, I guess, a central exchange where you can like say, I'm going to buy DAO XYZ, buy DAO ABC, or is it all like all over the place? Yeah. I mean, most of the time it's operated through a wallet. So that's kind okay. of how you would do it. Yeah. Um, I think there might be an exchange out there and this is kind of where my knowledge gap is. Um, I'd imagine that there is, but like all the dots are still being connected in the crypto space, I think. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not super sure. I think it's interesting how like DAOs and blockchain and cryptocurrency, everything's kind of wrapped up in this idea of kind of what you do, which is like the individual creator and figuring out ways mm -hmm. of monetizing and creating a business around just one person, which is so different than what we've known. And by we, I mean, I guess like the corporate collection of people that have mm -hmm. only known, you know, multi uh, hundred firm businesses and stuff like that. Um, it is, it is just so interesting. Like if, 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 if we look out three, five, even, even 10 years, like how many just one person companies are going to exist mm -hmm. and how many one person, like how, how valuable one person companies will be over time. Mm -hmm. Cause it's something that's never happened. And it just seems like everything's taken off, whether it's Substack, whether it's TikTok, mm -hmm. you know, just giving one-off creators mm -hmm. the power to like really leverage themselves in ways that they haven't mm -hmm. been able to before. Yeah. I mean, I think Packy, do you know Packy McCormick? Yeah, I had him on the podcast. Yeah. Oh well, perfect. Yeah. So you Back know, before he's like he the was perfect packy, example. Not boring capital and doing all this cool stuff he's doing now. 
Right. But I think he's like the perfect, him and Ben, Ben Thompson, they're like the perfect examples of the, the creator economy. And, and like, I don't know how they do it. I don't know. Like, it's just re- really cool. Um, but that, that's like, that, they are living probably like the ideal path for, for most creators. I don't know how Packy does it either because he's got like a kid now, like a, a small, you know, small like a child. baby. Yeah, and he finds time to research like huge topics, like just Ethereum, the broad topic that is and like in six days learns yeah. enough to write, you know, three, five thousand words. And then mm-hmm. around on I guess Thursday, he writes about like an individual company, whether it's like public mm-hmm. or private, um, shorter form. But like I mean, I just I just don't know where you find time because another thing and maybe maybe we can get into this right now and kind of creator wellness. But personally, with the rise of social media and TikTok, it's very easy to see the people that are killing it and the people that are really putting out a lot of good content at a ferocious clip. There's an element for me of am I doing enough and am I working hard enough all the time to where I feel as if I can't take any breaks because if I'm resting, then someone like Packy is out there grinding away, writing. But like, it's weird because we're not like competing in the sense yeah. of like, we're coming competing. together and we're both going to play like a tennis match, best three out of five sets. But like, do you kind of get where I'm going with this, with this conversation of just oh yeah understanding oh, well. like this whole competition aspect of this mm-hmm. whole thing? No, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, so like for me, I, I, I would say I put out probably like a lot of content. So like I do five or six, well, uh, like seven or eight TikToks a week. Um, And then I usually have two YouTubes and then two like research papers uh, a week. And so on top of like a full-time job, but the idea is like, okay, I could always do like one YouTube a day. I could always do one research paper a day. Um, And then, yeah, but like quality over quantity. And I think like with her, I like the sort of the competitiveness of of it. Like, yeah, of course, like you kind of feel the pressure. Like you're looking at other people and you're like, oh, they're pushing out this content and it's doing well. Like maybe I should shift over that content too. Because it's just the wild west out there. You don't know what the audience is going to want. You don't know when they're going to get sick of you. And I think that's the scariest part is like, what if people get bored of you? And what if like people just don't want to listen to you anymore? What if you become like yesterday's news? And there's just no way to hedge against that unless you're constantly iterating on content. And that's what's nice about TikTok is it's like such a fast feedback loop. So I know it works. I know they'll they'll tell me like what they like and what they don't. And so I can just keep on iterating on that, but you have to keep on, you know, you have to keep on increasing your sample size. And the way to do that is is through more content. Yeah. And it's, from, from, from like a writing and kind of Twitter perspective, mm-hmm. I think, I think the emphasis is just having consistency. Cause you never know when that one piece is going to go viral or that mm-hmm. one person's going to pick it up and retweet it mm-hmm. like a Patrick O'Shaughnessy, you know, retweets your TikTok video mm-hmm. or something like that. Like you just never know. But mm-hmm. one problem I do have, and this relates to what you said earlier about kind of being yesterday's uh, news, there is a part of me that sometimes feels like the best writing that I've done is behind me. Like if I write a really good piece and it gets really good feedback, I always think that this, like this, it's, it's, it's a high bar and I just won't be able to jump over it. Have you ever experienced that? Whether it's like a video or a YouTube or kind of a Substack newsletter where you've written something, you're like, you know what? People loved that. And I don't know if I could do that again. Yeah. I mean, I think all the time that 
way uh but i just try not to think about it i'm just like okay because like i think what's cool about the industry that we're in like the markets like they're constantly changing there's always something else happening so like you just got to keep up with it um so i think that's nice in terms of like um being able to iterate on content is like it's always changing so i think about that i think everybody does it's just like ah. <laughs> you know i set the bar too high i should have tried less <laughs> tried less hard yeah yeah it's just, it's just kind of crazy cycle but it gets at the point of you know, creator wellness in general, which is, I know a topic you're mm. passionate about. So mm -hmm. from a, from a 30,000 foot view, what does creator wellness mean to you? And maybe, you know, for those that aren't familiar with the term, I mean, I think people understand mental health from, from, from a general mm -hmm. perspective, but when it comes to creators specifically, what is, what is unique about, about their situation from a wellness perspective? Yeah. I mean, I think there's two things, right? So like most creators have an audience and most creators work with brands. Um, and with the audience, like sometimes they can, you're creating content for them. So they're allowed to be picky and they're allowed to give you feedback, but sometimes like they can be not nice about it. Uh, and that can be really hard, especially like if you work really hard on something and it just doesn't hit right with them. Um, or if you're like, you know, trying to shift away from a certain style of content and they don't like it, like that can be hard on, your, on you mentally. Um, but then I think like from the brand perspective, and this is a problem with the creator economy at large is brands are just very extractive and they don't mean to be because it's like the, the it's right now, there's no really great way to value creators because nobody's built out like a financial model for creators as far as I'm aware. Um, and so brands will just like totally undercut creators and, you know, the ROI most of the time on, on their investment in the creators, huge, like, like the creators yeah. videos normally do or content, however you say, like it does normally really well, like their newsletter gets really great traction. Um, mm -hmm. But brands will just underpay for that. And so I think there's sort of, and then creators kind of get caught in that loop of creating content for other people and you lose yourself along that path when you're always thinking about how your brand is going to interpret the content you're sort of siloing yourself into their vision for you and that mm -hmm. can be creatively stifling yeah so that's yeah. kind of the situation mm -hmm. yeah no that's that that's huge and the idea of not only are the brands underpaying for the content mm. creators but i wonder how often the content creators undercut themselves where they don't they think that the they're, it, it's almost as if, you know, you throw out a huge number and the brand's like, you know, Hey, we would, we would have been willing to pay you a hundred thousand dollars for a six month sponsorship, but you came in at 50 and why would we, why would we push back and say, no, we were hoping to do a hundred. You know, I wonder how much of that is just personal undercutting based on whether it's like insecurities or just, or just not understanding the power of their platform. Yeah. I mean, I think both, I think it, like most of the time, I mean, like one thing, it's just like, you don't know how to negotiate. Like, that's not something they teach you in school. So you're like, okay, like this huge brand's talking at me. Like, I'll just take whatever they want. Like, it's, whatever. Um, so yeah, it gets overwhelming in that regard. Mm -hmm. Have you had brands reach out to you from TikTok? I mean, again, like I don't have TikTok, so I, I'm not like a religious yeah. watcher, but have you had brands reach out to you and kind of try to negotiate some of these things? And, and how have you dealt with, with those negotiations? Yeah, I mean, I think like most, uh, the, the issue is, <laughs> the issue is like everybody wants you to make content for them. Uh, there's no like sense of, <laughs> sorry, I have to drink some water. No, that's fine. <laughs> there's no like sense of collaboration. It's all about, um, like that's kind of where the extraction can come in is it just feels like you're constantly creating content for somebody else. And I think brands forget about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, when it comes to this idea of burnout, again, maybe from your, from your own personal standpoint, 
have you had any periods of burnout? And if so, what have you done to maybe relieve some of that or, you know, some, some tactics and some tools that other content creators can, can then leverage in those moments? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's like important to step away from the content. So I try to do that often. Like I'll just back up and be like, okay, like I just did a video. I don't need to go right into another script. Um, but I think the fatigue aspect of it is just constant. You're just always a little bit tired just because like, um, you have to be so responsive to the world around you, right? Like you always have to be thinking about how other people are thinking. And I think that can be a little bit tiring. If you can separate yourself from that, like, like I've done this recently on my, my personal TikTok. Like, I'm just like, I'm going to create videos about like what I want. It's not going to be daily market update style for a few weeks, just because I need a break from that. Um, and so, yeah, I just started doing that. I got negative feedback, which, you know, that blows, but it helps with the burnout because I was like, okay, now I can go into daily market updates fresh. I have a better idea of like what people are looking for. Um, so I think it's just like taking a step back and realizing that you're more than, more than the content. Yeah. Yep. What's some of the funniest feedback you've gotten, whether it's positive or negative from your videos where it just kind of like makes you laugh, like, you know, even, you know, thick, thick skinned and all, you're just like, wow, like someone took the time to write that impressed send. Oh my God, there's so many. I mean, I'm in a group chat with creators, like a bunch of us, and uh, we'll like, send uh, weird comments that we get. The most recent one, and the one that like hurt my feelings the most was uh, this, and it, yeah, it was on my daily market update. And uh, this person was just like, your content has really been slipping. You must either be in love or be really busy. And I was like, dude, like, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've been trying so hard. Um, and so I think it's just like that sort of stuff where like people will interpret like what your life looks like. Um, and a lot of people don't think I have a full-time job, which I, which I do. Um, mm. So that can be a little bit frustrating. It's like, you don't know, you don't know me. Uh, and, and that gets into like the idea of parasocial relationships too, where a lot of people think they know you and they think yeah. that they know your life. So they feel comfortable commenting things like that. Cause like, oh, like it'd be no big deal if a friend said that to me, but it's like a random commenter. But they think yeah. they know me because- TikTok is so immersive. They see me talk. They know my mannerisms. They know that I have a weird little accent. Um, so they know all this stuff about me and I don't know anything about them. And so like, that's why TikTok comments, I think are so weird is because people think they know you so much. Mm -hmm. So random question about the accent. Cause I've been wondering where it's from. You said, really? from <laughs> yeah, yeah. You said you're for, you were from Kentucky, yeah. but it almost sounds Canadian. Like your um, accent sounds a little Canadian. Yeah. Where's so funny. <laughs> So I, um, this is like kind of sad, I think, but I made the decision when I was in middle school that I couldn't have a country accent. And so I spent a lot of time um, trying to cover it up. And mm -hmm. I would watch a lot of like TV to try and like figure out how those people talked. And I suppose it was just kind of, it was like that 70s show was primarily oh. what I was watching. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is not my real accent. This is not how I talk. Wow. And now yeah. that's, that's so fascinating. So is that something where it's now almost involuntary or do you still have to think like before you like, you're like, all right, I can't talk, you know, in a Southern drawl and all that <laughs> nice kind of stuff there. Yeah. Like when I'm around my friends, it's definitely like a lot looser. Um, and it's not as, yeah, it's it just, because uh, like, um you sort of become aware of the fact that people this is so bad but in the, this is not a knack on people who have a country accent it's, oh yeah but like it was 
people were not taking me like seriously. Um, and when I got, you know, when I kind of, I'm in Los Angeles right now. And like, whenever I do drop a G or something, you know, people, people make fun of it and mm -hmm. it sucks. And so yep. the easier thing to do is just to pretend like you don't have an accent at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, like my, my mom's side is all, is all Southern and, uh, my fiance's dad's side is all Southern. And so I'll go down there. And what's funny though, is I can develop a chameleon accent. So if mm -hmm. I'm around like her, you know, Southern family for a long time, I can start developing something like that. But, uh, that's, that's, that's so funny. It almost, it almost reminds me of when I would listen to a singer for the first time and then they would, I would, I would hear them in an interview and they mm -hmm. were like a, a British or a Scottish person. Like I remember mm -hmm. the first time I listened to Christian Bale in an interview because mm -hmm. I'm a huge Batman fan and I listened to, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd listen to him in Batman and then I'd listen to an interview of him and I had no idea he was like this Welsh, like really deep accent. I'm like, that is incredible how he yeah. can just turn that on and off. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you, you have to. Yeah. That's so fascinating. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah. let's, let's wrap this up. I know, I know you got to get out of here in a little bit, but there's kind of two closing questions that I ask everybody, and this is going to be easy for you. So the first one is where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah. I mean, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, I'm, I'm everywhere. Yeah. Just search Kyla. That's the nice thing about having, you know, a unique name is, uh, usually the first person in Google. So just type it in Google. <laughs> usually my show notes are pretty quick to do, but I'm going to have to add like 17 links for all your content. So that'll be really fun. <laughs> so just then link everything. Yeah. Just link everything. Like if you want, here's a Google doc of all of the links. Right. <laughs> so last question I have for you, Kyla, if you could have dinner with one person from the past or the present, who would it be and why? Yeah. Okay. Um, dinner. Like we're just like a regular dinner, like a fancy dinner. Or? Well, most people don't ask that question, but uh -oh. let's okay. <laughs> assume that it is whatever you want: breakfast, lunch, dinner. It could be very high class, very low key. Okay. You name it. It's really more about the person. But I guess it kind of yeah. depends on the type of evening yeah, who that person's exactly. going to be. <laughs> yeah, like I wouldn't take like Rockefeller. I probably wouldn't <laughs> want to take him to like Burger King. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I don't know. That, that's a good question. I think like, I think for me, um, and now that I said Rockefeller, I keep on thinking about him. Um, yeah, I, I would probably, I don't think that's my exact answer though. I think I would like to talk to different people about different things. So like just talking to Rockefeller about like what he built and why he built it that way, I think would be cool. Um, I've been really fascinated by JP Morgan, the person recently, because mm -hmm. I'm on like conspiracy talk where everybody's like JP Morgan sunk the Titanic. So I'd love to like chat with him about that. Yeah. Um, Did you sink the Titanic JP? <laughs> <laughs> Off the record. The <laughs> Over this steak dinner. Can you tell me if you caused a catastrophe? Um, yeah. And, and then there's like a ton of people on Twitter. I'm sure you're, you're in the same situation where I just like, deeply admire and I would just like love to meet them in person like Adam Singer of Lex like I think he's really cool um I think like Balaji is just like a really interesting thought leader Naval I like Naval is just interesting and I just like to like be around him to see if he's like constantly if he's like his twitter feed where he's just constantly like tweeting out these random ideas constantly um, emanating <laughs> these like beautiful like Aristotle poetic, quotes out yeah. of nowhere <laughs> yeah um, so this, this would be like my, my people probably. Yeah. Awesome. No, I love, I love those answers. And it's actually funny. You mentioned 
Rockefeller and Morgan, I've been watching the uh, Men Who Built America series yeah. on History Channel, and it goes through, I think, you know, Carnegie, Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, uh, Nikolai Tesla, kind of all those guys, and it's very fascinating. Yeah, somebody left a comment on my YouTube, and they were like, the creator economy is Robin Barron to Robert Barron 2.0. Mm -hmm. And so I've just been like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do like more research because that That'd could be a cool essay. Topic. Yeah. And so that's like kind of why I'm thinking about thinking about the dates. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kyla, thanks so much for coming on the show. If anybody wants to check out more about her, follow her on TikTok, follow her on Twitter, on YouTube. You'll see her if you, even if you don't follow her, you'll see her on Twitter. So she is inevitable as they say. <laughs> Kyla, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Super fun.